What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Welcome, listener, to Chapter 174 of the QAnon Anonymous Podcast, The Secret Space Program Episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rokotansky, Dan Friesen, Jordan Holmes, Julian Fields, and Travis View. Welcome, friends, to another fantastic crossover with the Knowledge Fight podcast. This week, we're going to be covering the secret space program conspiracy theory, which concerns the cosmic disclosure of covered-up technologies and a far-ranging history of human interaction with aliens, ranging from blue avians to Draco reptilians, with whom the Nazis collaborated from underground bases in Antarctica, as we all know. It concerns, of course, the New World Order, but also free energy secret colonies on Mars, and an epic, never-ending battle between good and evil. And uh, yeah, thank God we have Dan and Jordan here because when they're not covering Alex Jones, they tend to stray into the secret space program related Project Camelot, as well as the convicted murderer and possible intergalactic hero, Mark Richards. You also, I've, I've heard you cover like raptor aliens and shit. Am I, am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think I so. I mean, so. There's, there's a ton more. I mean, like, yeah. think about any animal. Uh, there's an alien for it. So, I mean, we can we can get into the specifics oh, yeah. uh, uh, whenever you like. Yeah, I'm I'm, oh, a, yeah. I'm particular to spider leadership, but sure. uh, you know, I wear their jersey mm-hmm. uh, pretty regularly. Yeah. Good, good. We we've learned a lot. There's a lot to cover mm-hmm. here. So, yeah, who doesn't want to be on Team Spider? You know. Ah. <laughs> Eight yeah. legs. Can't stop them. They're, but they're also a very hierarchical uh, group. That, that is true. They're, they're the only ones we know of that have leadership. They also <laughs> wear robes. That's an important thing. That's a like a robe with like a hole for each leg, or how does how does a? I guess it's just one big. Can you imagine the scene? <laughs> it's like those memes. Of, how does a dog wear pants? Actually, thinking about it now, it would just be like those parachute things you play with when you're a group of kids. You know, it's just like a big robe with like a. Just the head of the spider poking through the center. Ah, that works. Popcorn. It's the game where everybody wins. It's high fashion. We're definitely going to get into all that weird stuff. And we have a segment first by Jake covering uh, maybe the only guy who's ever done anything cool related to the secret space program. His name is Gary McKinnon. But um, before we jump into that segment, I wanted to ask you boys, since you are absolutely the specialists, so I'd be remiss to not ask, how is Alex doing? Man, he's so good. So good. He's doing great. It's honestly the best times of his life. Yeah, he's been uh, on a new diet. He's right. been doing hot yoga. Oh, man. He's, he's just, so calm. He's centered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's proven everything that he set out. He's, have he's you doing... tried meditation? Like, have you tried yeah. it, though? He's, he's doing real bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything is <laughs> yeah. falling apart. It's the worst. Yeah. He's oh, probably yeah. going to die. Yeah. He looked awful. <laughs> Last I checked with him, he really looks... I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to be ageist or whatever, but he looks older than 47 and he looks like he's also breathing like very, he's having trouble breathing and he's very red. He has had COVID multiple times by his own admission. <laughs> fair, so fair. that could yeah. play a role in some of it. And so what, like, what have been his latest uh, capers? I hear he, he recently named the most important man in the world. True, true. Uh, spoiler alert, Tucker Carlson. Yeah. Uh, the greatest uh, person who's alive. Um, so With many caveats. <laughs> Which, I mean, boys, I feel kind of sad because he used to have some form of counterculture in the 90s. Now he's just naming the most famous like TV hosts. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you, you know who the most important person in the world is? Like, if it would have been, like, backdated, it'd be Bill O'Reilly. You know who the most important talk show host is? Johnny Carson. I'm telling you right now. That's yeah, it. It is a little bit sad. Um, 
But I, I don't know. I think a lot of that counterculture stuff, too, is a facade. I, mm. I don't know. I don't know how deep his counterculture uh, ran. It's just people who would talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Mm hmm. Well, I mean, we'll definitely be getting in, into the script, of course, to uh, the role of Art Bell, Coast to Coast AM, the precursor and granddaddy of all things Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. He whispered to me my lullabies uh, as I was a young man. Well, he also served as a springboard for the secret space program to come into existence and uh, a, an empire of grifters to form, so should be fun. But first, let's look again, like I said, at the only cool guy that's going to come up today. So go ahead, Jake, take us away. Gary McKinnon. Gary McKinnon was born February 10th, 1966 in Glasgow, Scotland. He had no brothers or sisters. Gary's parents encouraged imagination and creativity, and Gary indulged in his own thoughts. Like a lot of kids, Gary was fascinated with the moon and the stars and the idea of other worlds beyond our reach. His parents split when he was six years old, and during this time, he stayed in Glasgow with his father for the better part of a year before moving to London to live with his mother and stepfather. While living in London as a young child, Gary claims to have experienced his first UFO sighting. He was laying in bed around 11 p.m. looking up at the night sky when a glowing red light zoomed across it. According to Gary, the light was zigzagging back and forth as it glided above the clouds towards the horizon. When he was 12, Gary joined the British UFO Research Association, which further expanded his curiosity about outer space. Wait, 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 wait. What organization is letting 12-year-olds in at this point in time? Mensa? And this was also in 1970. I mean, this was in like the, so it wasn't online. It must have been a mail-in, yeah, you know, like. Somebody <laughs> hasn't been keeping up with the news from MUFON. <laughs> There's I'm a big saying, pedophile <laughs> subsection of these people. <laughs> is this Is this like a group? that he's going to? Is this a round table situation? Or it's, is it... it's grooming for extraterrestrial <laughs> experiences. Okay. Yeah, look, all it's it's like the you know like the Ovaltine like detective circuit. You know, I'm, I'm sure, okay. I'm sure, I'm sure okay. you just you mail in your card, you get something in the mail, you mm -hmm. put it on your bulletin board. You know, maybe you get a pamphlet or something. Eat enough cracker jacks, right? And right, you right, get right. A UFO. It's a cereal yeah, yeah, box yeah. prize, is what we're dealing with here. Okay. Yeah, it's a cereal box group. Is now what I'm, I'm now is I'm what back I'm in. Imagining. I just see this kid going to meetings like I've seen a UFO, and then everybody being fine with it. No, that's creepy. It's like, hello, uh, my name is. My name is Gary, and um, I, I did see a UFO. <laughs> now I'm thinking of like a Kellogg's van pulling up and just abducting people <laughs> if they reach a certain amount of coupons. You get your own UFO experience. If you're 12 and you haven't seen a UFO, guess what? You're about to. Yeah. <laughs> So at, at 14, Gary was given an Atari 400 console. According to a 2009 Telegraph article, Gary really didn't use the console to play games, uh, but instead to write programs and create graphics. He is an entirely self-taught computer programmer, first teaching himself in basic and then in machine code. As a young adult, he would find himself trying his hand at a number of odd jobs, manual labor, hairdressing, office jobs, warehouse claiming he spent about a year in each before growing bored and setting out in search of something that could better hold his interest. Since he had become the go-to guy amongst all of his friends for help when their computers malfunctioned, some of them suggested he try to get a job in the computing field. Oddly enough, according to Gary, this was something that he himself had never thought of. Because he was self-trained and didn't have any kind of computer programming degrees, the only job he was able to land was in installations and upgrades. Essentially, Gary would go into business offices and help them set up their Windows 311, uh, which was also known as Windows for Work Groups. That was the Amber Windows. <laughs> yes, this was very, very early Windows. It was all mixed up. I, yeah. <laughs> it was a cover of Love Song. <laughs> 
I still remember my dad showing me an app in it where he's like, check it out. And it was a little cat that would chase your mouse. <laughs> like, that was the whole app. You would open it and it's like, look, the cat oh, knows man. knows where I'm moving the mouse and it runs towards it. Such, uh, a, such a beautiful disaster. I loved early yeah. computer days. Just the, just the Windows sign on a screensaver. Everybody would gather around like it was a fire. Mm-hmm. Mm, beautiful. From there, he worked his way up to doing network solutions, troubleshooting, and systems administration. And then, in 1994, everything changed. At one of his various IT jobs, Gary McKinnon got his first look at the internet. Uh, I got my first look at the internet, wow, Um, using the Mosaic browser. I was amazed that we could view text and images on the computers on the other side of the world. It's fantastic. Uh, I knew it'd be a big thing in time to come, and I, I definitely wanted it in my house too, not just at work. Uh, even though Microsoft famously said it didn't think there was anything to it, but um, I don't know if that's a rumor that's true, but apparently it is. Uh, I got my first dial-up connection in 95. Uh, by then, we had a variety of search engines, no Google yet, uh, and millions of websites, so it had already become a useful resource. And uh, the number of UFO enthusiast sites was astounding, so many of them, I could hardly believe it. Um, I had a lot of catching up to do, so whatever I could, I'd browse the net, reading up on UFO history and how the phenomena grown over the years. So Gary has access to the internet, and the first thing he does is immediately pill himself on all things <laughs> UFO. I, I think this serves as a great reminder to everyone who says that the internet uh, used to be a positive influence <laughs> on society. No, that was never correct. Uh, with endless information at one's fingertips, the first thing people did was look up what they were interested in, and let's be honest, our interests are shit. Yeah, I mean, you know, the last thing that anybody needs is for a lonely person to open up a browser. That's yeah. just bad for everybody. <laughs> yeah. I remember very early that it was basically chatting, porn. Uh, maybe you tried to play Counter-Strike and it didn't work. And definitely you downloaded Alien photos. In 94 you were playing Counter-Strike? Uh, well, not, not, you know, not, I'm not personally Gary's age, but... <laughs> At this time, in the mid-90s, the fuel prices were incredibly high in London. Gary claims that many of the elderly people in his community had to choose between whether to pay for groceries or heat, and that because of this, many of them died due to hyperthermia. Free energy was a hugely popular topic amongst UFO researchers at the time, and still is today. Gary had read that world governments were potentially hiding alien technology that could power the world without costing a dime. It enraged him that people were freezing to death while the cabal of elites was secretly keeping the discovery of free energy to themselves. Uh, Julian, would you like to say something here about uh, degrading material conditions, pushing people towards conspiracy theories? No, no, I've been accused of uh, being an ideologue, maybe even a demagogue, and um, a bisexual, and so I'm just going to stay out of this one. A bisexual gog. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, as we all know, every starry-eyed searcher, dissatisfied with the official narrative, who sets out in search of answers, eventually finds their crank. (laughs) In Gary McKinnon's case, it was Dr. Stephen Greer. Now, I hesitated writing the word crank here because UFOs are real. I think we can all agree. (laughs) Exactly what they are is certainly up for debate, but the government has even recently Mm -hmm. published official documents acknowledging their existence. Stephen Greer is a former emergency room physician who eventually left his prestigious career in medicine to become a full-time ufologist. He founded C-SETI, or the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence, in 1990. 
This was to distinguish it from the uh, from SETI, the other organization that's trying to conduct legitimate scientific exploration of extraterrestrial life because they thought that like the real nerds that like who are connected to NASA and shit weren't really doing it. Looks like we yeah, got a, a non-Greer fan in the house. I'll have to watch <laughs> out for this guy. He's a uh, Greer there. has actually been a guest uh, on uh, Infowars a bit. <laughs> so oh, good. I have. Oh, good. Uh, I don't like him much either. Okay, I did not know that. It's it's like they were they were like the pioneers of doing that internet thing where they're like we'll change one letter uh, <laughs> from the th- from the real organization so that people will stumble upon us by accident. Mm-hmm. Greer, however, wasn't just interested in the crafts or technology itself. He was also hell-bent on exposing the UFO cover-up by the United States and other world governments. In 1993, he founded the Disclosure Project, which aimed to provide a safe haven for whistleblowers willing to come forward with insider knowledge of the conspiracy. Uh, Here's the trailer for Dr. Greer's latest film, called Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. Contact has begun. All of us are going to know the truth. This is our moment. We have the ability to change life for the better. Consciousness isn't limited by space and time. What I'm doing with CE5 is the foundation for the relationship between humans and these extraterrestrials. But the implications are absolutely profound. It shows consciousness does affect reality. A critical mass of people can shift an entire civilization. But the intelligence community don't want the public to know. They say, what's in it for me? It's easy. A new world, if you can take it. There you go. So, uh, by the way, he has uh, almost half a million followers on YouTube. So he's no slouch in terms of the, uh, you know, the crank influencer. I'd like to point out that, like, although he does look like an extra in X-Files, maybe in, like, the most boring <laughs> office scene or something, he is fucking jacked. This man is a monster. He, he, he's, he's a beautiful man. He's well-built. I don't know about these InfoWars claims, boys. I'm thinking I like me some Greer. Yeah, he is jacked. Uh, I don't know. I've never seen uh, him from the waist down. He might skip leg day. He might okay. just be interested in getting <laughs> so true. up top. He always wears mom jeans. He might just be a trunk. Was his previous film Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind? Yep, and then third. <laughs> well, I mean, Spielberg did the third. Nope. Oh, he didn't? Greer. Oh, okay. Well, then yeah. who did the second both and their, the first? Both of their names are Stephen. Coincidence? That is not a yeah. coincidence. Nope. They're the same All person. Greer. <laughs> Never been in the same room at the same time. True. So around 2001, McKinnon goes to hear Dr. Stephen Greer speak at the Disclosure Project Conference at the National Press Club in D.C., Gary is enamored with Stephen's passion and, as a result, purchased the Disclosure Project book. He claims that not only did he want to hear more people's stories about the phenomenon, but hoped that the book might provide some insight to possible internet-connected locations where documentation of the cover-up could be extracted. The story he was most interested in was from Donna Hare, a former NASA employee who claimed she knew where NASA was storing images of UFOs. Good morning, everyone. My name is Donna Hare, and I worked at Philco Ford Aerospace for, from 1967 to 1981. During that time, I was a design illustrator, draftsman. Uh, I did the launch slides and landing slides, and also projecting plotting boards, lunar maps for NASA. We were a contractor, but at, most of the time I worked on site Excuse me, in Building 8. I had the opportunity to do extra work during downtime, which was between missions, and I walked into 
a photo lab, which was the NASA lab across the hallway. I had a secret clearance, which is not that high, but I was able to go into restricted areas, which this was. Uh, at the time, I was talking to one of the techs in there, and he drew my attention to a photograph, that, a NASA photograph. It had a dot on it, and I said, what is that? Well, he drew my attention to it, and, he, and I said, is that a, a dot on the emulsion? And he said, and he's smiling, and he has his hands crossed, and he said, uh, round dots on the emulsion don't leave round shadows on the ground. And this was an aerial photograph of the Earth, I'm assuming the Earth, because it had pine trees on it, and the shadows of the craft, or whatever it was, were in the same angle as the trees. And by its very nature, UFO, and I wanted to clarify that to a gentleman that was talking to me, means unidentified. So I did not know what this was. But I realized <laughs> at this point that it's very secret, that the, it was kept secret, because I asked him, what are you going to do with this piece of information? And he said, we always airbrush these out before we sell them to the public. So they're pes pesky little creatures uh, appearing on this uh, photograph they wanted to get rid of. But recently there was, like, the proof that they have these weird, they almost look like hand gliders or something, but they're like these smaller craft that they have been using secretly for years, and they're kind of lower lower orbit, and it's just for, like, kind of short, short missions. So it, that's kind of consistent with this. You think? I don't fucking know, dude. <laughs> Maybe it's a real fucking alien, okay? Maybe she did. I love that they never know it's an alien until like so they talk to the alien guy, and then they come out and they're like, that, that was an alien in retrospect. I love that the story is always like, hey, hey, psst. You want to see the you want to see earth-shattering news that will destroy your concept of life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We photoshop it out. Don't tell nobody. Great story. <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, you want to have a little bit more fun on your coffee break? Check <laughs> yes. out the existence of aliens that we cover up. Also, Julian, I, if anybody who tells me like it was an alien in retrospect, I'm not listening to that person. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a hard pass from me. Yeah. Well, despite what you guys are saying, uh, Gary McKinnon describes uh, Donna Hare as Greer's star witness in the Disclosure book. And he now had an actual location on which to focus his search, Building 8. He was planning on hacking into the computers stored at that location and downloading any images containing proof of alien crafts. At the time, he was living with his girlfriend in her aunt's house in North London. I mean, can you guys imagine, uh, uh, you know, a, a 2001 aunt uh, having to put up with Gary as the boyfriend living in her spare bedroom? <laughs> <laughs> now, I didn't hear Gary talk about this in, in any of his interviews, but the Telegraph profile on him mentions that Gary was a huge fan of the 1983 film War Games mm. uh, starring Matthew Broderick. And, and for those unfamiliar, War Games is about a computer nerd who accidentally starts World War III after hacking into the Pentagon. They claim that his love for this film amplified his curiosity in UFOs, but as it turns out, it also amplified his curiosity to see if he could hack into the Pentagon. And it got him over his uh, terrible tic-tac-toe addiction. <laughs> Al, the only way to enjoy that movie is not to see it. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I was never a War Games fan. People tried to show it to me back in the day. I, I was more interested in, like, Ninja Turtles and stuff. Hell yeah. <laughs> but as we all know, real life isn't like the movies. A 35-year-old computer nerd would never be able to hack into the Pentagon, and that's because we think that a federal law enforcement building would have significant security systems in place, and we would be wrong. 
Travis, that one was for you. Nah, get a couple of thousand people and you can just walk right in, buddy. Between 2001 and 2002, Garrett McKinnon hacked into 97 American military computers at both NASA and the Pentagon. His quality of life deteriorated. He didn't <laughs> sleep. He barely ate. He admits to not showering. Uh, eventually, his girlfriend broke up with him. Friends were pleading with him to give it up, but Gary couldn't. So Gary started to get sloppy. He was leaving angry messages on military computers, mocking the government. Gary signed the messages solo. Here's one of them. U.S. foreign policy is akin to government-sponsored terrorism these days. It was not a mistake that there was a huge security stand-down on September 11th last year. I am solo. I will continue to disrupt at the highest levels. <laughs> Dude, imagine the balls. You're just literally tagging the wall of, like, the Pentagon's computers. Now, based on that language, I'm shocked he hasn't turned up in any of the InfoWars episodes that I've listened to. Now, look, I, I am far from being any kind of understander of computers. I mean, unless you want me to add a lighting mod to GTA 4 or get DayZ to run on a dual-booted 2013 Macintosh with VM FusionWare, a pirated <laughs> copy of Windows, and a pirated copy of Arma 2. So instead, <laughs> oh, wow. I'll let Gary himself explain how exactly he was able to get into these military systems. Um, but how did you get into a network like that? And it turned out to be all too easy, far too easy. I wish it hadn't been easy, then I wouldn't be here today. Um, computer communication languages are called network protocols. Um, the HTTP you use in your web browser is a protocol standing for hypertext transfer protocol. Um, your email service runs an IMAP, which is internet message access protocol. So there's protocols for specific jobs, uh, as well as general protocols that provide for computer to computer communication. Uh, one of these general protocols is called NetBIOS, which stands for Network Basic Input System. Um, as its name suggests, it's a system that provides basic input-output across the network. Um, for instance, if your office is on a Windows network, when you copy and paste a file from your machine to a colleague's shared drive, it's NetBIOS doing all the legwork and allowing both computers to talk to each other. Um, so that's what NetBIOS is for. It's for local area networks like offices or homes. It's not very secure. Um, unfortunately, at that time, an out-of-the-box Windows installation uh, defaulted to using NetBIOS not just across your home or office network, but also across the internet, basically exposing your network to the world. And uh, one method NetBIOS uses for access to any network resource is the standard username and password combination. And the administrator username, the administrator account, is the most powerful account on the PC, apart from the system itself. And it has access to almost anything. Um, so it was obvious to me that I had, I had to scan the JSC um, Johnson Space Center network, uh, looking for PCs that accepted NetBIOS connections, and then see if they had either weak passwords or unset passwords on the administrator accounts. And it was quite a quick scan. It didn't take long. Um, a surprising number of PCs responded to NetBIOS probes and also returned administrator accounts that have no password set. Not just a weak password-like password itself. Literally no password. Like. Just blank. No password. <laughs> no password. <laughs> and then I love the shits. John Podesta diss here that he throws in where he's like, it's not a weak password like password or something. <laughs> So Gary was finding admin accounts within these government systems that had no passwords, essentially giving him universal access to troves of government networked computers. It's insane. He then would install remote control software that would essentially allow him to take over the machine as if he was sitting in front of it. 
So, you know, like move their mouse around and shit. Next, he had to figure out which unsecure machines were housed in Building 8, which housed the NASA lab that Donna Hare worked at. Again, Gary used the NetBIOS to see which PCs were listed on the remote network, and according to him, due to NASA's IT team being incredibly diligent and keeping comprehensive information on serial numbers and location information, Gary was quickly able to see which PCs in Building 8 also had non-existent administrative passwords. I, I had, I've watched movie after movie about the Cold War era where spies are doing all kinds of shit, they're going mm-hmm. into people's garbage cans and all that shit, and these people... People didn't even have a fucking password on their goddamn network. You could just walk. That's a b- banana. And they just had basic like Windows installations. So like the back door essentially was like in place. Like when they start, like when they like booted up the computers. It's 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 like the Dota. It's like a naive species meeting human being. You know, it's like the Dota walking up to humans, being like, <laughs> "I'm sure these people will be nice." There's no point in putting a password on this. Everybody's nice to me. So Gary installs the remote control software on the first unprotected PC that he finds and was greeted with an average, normie-looking Windows desktop. Uh, Gary then claims he found two folders on the computer that matched Donna Hare's description, raw and processed. The images in the folder were massive, 200 megabytes. (laughs) With a download speed of one megabyte every five or six minutes, this was going to be a tricky operation. Um, I considered transferring a few of the files in one go, but thought I'd best inspect one of them first. Um, I can't remember the file extension, but it was a proprietary NASA format, uh, not one of the common image formats. So I just double-clicked one of the files, and the associated imaging software launched, and I waited. And then I waited, and then sort of line by line, very slow, very jerky, the image started appearing on the screen, but it was painfully slow. Um, So I shut down the imaging software. I turned the color down to four bits, possibly two bits, um, so you get a lot less color. I turned the resolution down to, I think, 640 by 480 in order to get a look at this image as quickly as possible, you know, low color, low resolution, and then download it, then close the connection. So I thought I had plenty of time. You know, I thought I was going to watch this, then transfer it across. Um, I launched the image again, and it was still painfully slow, uh, but it was a few times faster than it was the first time around. And the top second section of the image just seemed to be like a muddy sort of black and grey. Uh, but then the hemisphere of a planet started to appear. And uh, I began to see, like, cloud formations. Um, I don't remember seeing any recognizable terrain or any terrain at all. Um, I just assumed it was Earth because it was, you know, white clouds and the muddy darkness was obviously the space of Earth. And then the craft began to appear. Um, The first thing I saw was the top of the dome because although it was classic cigar-shaped, it had these sort of geodesic golf ball, you know, like radar domes above and below. And um, no features in the craft at all, no insignia. Uh, no rivets, no seams, no sign of your standard man-made manufacturing at all. Very smooth, one-piece object. Um, then I jumped to my seat because the mouse started to move, you know, on its own. Uh, it obviously wasn't moving on its own. Someone who was physically at the machine had seen what I was doing. And they moved the mouse pointer over to the network icon in the system tray, right-clicked it, and chose disconnect. Uh, I couldn't believe it, you know, as I was watching. I hadn't even seen the whole image yet, and I'd been disconnected. Um, so that, that was my eureka moment, but I also lost connection at the same time. But I had seen it. Um, I found exactly what Donna Hare had said would be there. 
uh, exactly where she said it would be, a sanitizing lab in Building 8 of Johnson Space Center that processed the imagery. And the first image I looked at featured some kind of exotic craft. So this, it was confirmation in my eyes. It was confirmation of Donahue's amazing story. Also, uh, before I continue, I mean, this might be the, the, the first uh, example of the blurry JPEG. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, no. Yeah. And not even blurry, but blurry and not fully loaded. It loads piece by piece. Yeah. Like, a you know, like a like a 13 year old kid that discovers like porn for the first time on like Netscape <laughs> or whatever. And you're just like waiting like, oh, there's a, a piece of shoulder. Yeah, yeah, the bottom oh, half of the image that he missed was lower. just a pair of tits. So, you know, he was he could have had a good time. <laughs> Alien tits though, so. Yeah. Twice as good. There were four of them. That was the seamless domes he was referring to. Yes, the geo I want uh Jake to give me serious geodesic dome. <laughs> <laughs> So this is amazing. Uh, imagine you're standing in your NASA lab, chilling, having a coffee, probably a cig. I'll bet they let you smoke in those days. And you glance over your shoulder and you see an image slowly loading on a computer with nobody sitting at it. And then they just walked over and like moved the mouse to disconnect. This is an amazing story from both the perspective of Gary and the, you know, the poor freaked out lab technician. Gary was arrested after the <laughs> aforementioned story when he was discovered downloading the image from one of NASA's computers in Building 8, which makes the story even more tragic from Gary's perspective. He had spent a year hacking into all these systems, looking for answers, and when he finally believed he found the blurry JPEG he'd been searching for, the computer shut down before the image could finish loading. Gary had used his own email address what? and was incredibly easy to find. Okay. Hold on. Yeah, now, 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 come on. <laughs> <laughs> this whole like uh, the image that he's presented of himself, like, and now he's using his own email address. Oh, these dumb dumbs uh, not having a password. They didn't even have a password. I'm at. I'm gonna use my McKinnon at gmail .com. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Ridiculous. As Gary explains later, I think he didn't really think he was doing anything wrong okay. because the security was so lax and, you know, he wasn't trying. He was just trying to find proof of free energy so he could help, you know, people in his community. Um, I mean, Gary was definitely, uh, I'm, I'm not just slinging this around. I think he is uh, neurodivergent. Yeah, we'll get into that. So he has a specific way of, yeah, kind of thinking of the world. But I love this. It's like, hello, Mr. Pentagon. It's me, Solo, signed Gary. Yeah. Signed Gary at 1234 yeah. London Street. He's, he's leaving graffiti, digital graffiti. He thinks he's not doing anything wrong. Uh, Bullshit. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so this, this event would kick off a decade-long legal battle between Gary and both the United States and British governments. Uh, Gary claimed he was never trying to do any real harm and was only able to penetrate the networks because of a lack of security. But to the United States government, he was essentially a terrorist. Uh, this according to The Telegraph. He stole 950 passwords and deleted files at Earl Naval Weapons Station in New Jersey. The U.S. military alleges that he caused $800,000 worth of damage and left 300 computers at a U.S. Navy <laughs> weapons station unusable immediately after the September 11th atrocities. He was accused of using his computer skills to gain access to 53 U.S. Army computers, including those used for national defense and security, and 26 U.S. Navy computers, including those at U.S. Naval Weapons Station Earl, which is responsible for replenishing munitions and supplies for the deployed Atlantic Fleet. 
He was also charged with hacking into 16 NASA computers and one U.S. Defense Department computer. My man, it's so funny, though, because he, like, <laughs> was basically trying to get to this very specific place. And so he's entering stuff that anybody else would be like, this is wild. We're in. And he's like, all right, I need to uh, hop from this to find the aliens in Building 8. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now... When Gary was doing all of the hacking, he figured that if he were inevitably caught, he would be tried under the UK's Misuse of Computers Act, which I think is a funny name for, for that, um, and estimated he would serve four, maybe five years at the most. But now the US government wanted him extradited, and he faced up to 70 years in federal prison. Because of the UK Extradition Act of 2005, Gary was immediately placed on bail and extradition hearings began. His lawyers argued that the severity of the penalty didn't align with British law and therefore Gary's rights were being violated. But the courts disagreed and Gary McKinnon was set to be extradited. He appealed to the House of Lords, which is the upper house of parliament in the United Kingdom, but they too sided with the initial ruling. After appealing to the European Courts of Human Rights, a bar was temporarily placed on Gary's extradition. The High Court announced in January of 2009 that McKinnon had been granted the opportunity for a judicial review, but shortly thereafter, his appeal was again denied. Gary was encouraged by his lawyers and friends to submit himself for a mental health examination. They told him he might be, quote, on the spectrum and that if he indeed was, it could potentially help his case. Gary was incredibly depressed. Not only was his life ruined, but he was hurt that people were questioning his mental health and urging him to get a diagnosis. During this time, he claimed he purchased, quote, enough potassium chloride to kill himself, that if essentially his fate was to die in prison, he'd rather be in control of when and where. Reluctantly, Gary sought out the top mental health professionals in the UK and submitted himself for testing. They all came back with the same conclusion, that Gary had Asperger's. He admits that while this was incredibly tough to deal with, at the same time, it provided some clarity on a lot of his past behavior. Thousands of people, both civilians, politicians, and celebrities, came out in support of Gary. Eighty members of Parliament signed an early-day motion asking for Gary to serve less time in a UK prison. He was championed by artists like Sting, Peter Gabriel, The Proclaimers, and even future Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Pink Floyd's David Gilmour even released a song online that was intended to gin up support for Gary. The song features Chrissy Hind from The Pretenders, Bob Geldof of the Boomtown Rats, and even Gary McKinnon himself. My God. This is insane. Insane. It's the we are the world of our times, yeah. really. With way less people. <laughs> With way less people, uh, not as good. Yeah. Uh, we're sort of the world. We're a little bit of the world. This has that COVID celebrity video vibes. Like very, <laughs> very self-indulgent. But good for Gary, though. Gary's case had become an international concern. 
Journalist Tom Bradby even brought it up to President Barack Obama oh at a God. joint White House press conference in 2010. He asks President Obama what he's going to do about McKinnon's case, saying that the Prime Minister, Cameron, himself was against the extradition. One of the things that David and I discussed was the increasing challenge that we're going to face uh, as a consequence of the internet and the need for us to cooperate extensively on issues of cybersecurity. Uh, you know, we, we had a brief discussion about uh, the fact that uh, although there may still be efforts to send in spies and try to obtain state secrets through traditional Cold War methods, the truth of the matter is these days where we're going to see enormous amounts of vulnerability when it comes to information is going to be uh, through uh, these kind of uh, breaches in, in our uh, uh, information systems. Uh, so we take this very seriously. Uh, and I know that uh, the British government does as well. Uh, beyond that, uh, you know, uh, one of the traditions we have is uh, uh, the president doesn't get involved in uh, decisions around prosecutions, uh, extradition matters. Uh, so what I expect is that my team will follow the law, uh, but they will also coordinate closely with what uh, we've just stated is uh, an ally that is unparalleled in terms of uh, uh, our cooperative relationship. And I trust that this will get resolved in a way that uh, underscores the seriousness of the issue, but also uh, underscores the fact that uh, we work together and uh, we can find a, an appropriate solution. This is amazing. He's like, <laughs> he's like, listen, man, we'd love to put the autistic guy in jail for 70 years, but your friendship is more important. I, it, it, everybody involved in this is dumb. Can we get there? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm bottom up. Yeah, like, it's pretty funny. He, he, he got half of a JPEG, and 10 years later, the <laughs> fucking president is talking about him? Couldn't one adult at the time have just been like, hey, listen, this was real dumb, but you didn't steal anything, so we're going to keep it real quiet. Everybody's going to get a fucking password, and we're going to move on with our lives. I'm under the understanding that he did not see the nip, that it had yeah. not, in fact, loaded <laughs> the nip. Hey, no nip, you must acquit. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I, I also wouldn't call, uh, you know, uh, a majority of her computers not having admin passwords in place a breach, <laughs> per se. But <laughs> I, I, I'll also say that, you know, it is hard to remember a time when a president spoke coherently. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a while. It's been a while. So, you know, a little bit of nostalgia there for full sentences. Um, oh, <laughs> if they're filled with this kind of bullshit? Who cares? Who gives Listen. a shit? Oh, the guy's great at manufacturing styrofoam. Do you guys remember when this was going on, though? I remember it just, like, on a conspiracy side because the boards were flooded of with course. this with this shit, essentially yeah. being like, oh, this this guy found proof of UFOs and that the government's, like, uh, you know, uh, photoshopping them out of, of NASA images and they're yeah. going to throw them in jail for, for 70 years. You know, this was, like, a big deal. Yeah. Of course, it's over a thing he can't prove. He didn't print. He's just remembering it. And also, he came there for the reason of finding exactly that. That is exactly the thing he came for. And of course, yeah. he can't show it. And so, uh, yeah, the whole thing is very ridiculous and very funny that it got elevated to, like, an international dispute. 
and you know what's what's interesting is that um, you know the the way that the extradition act was worded, uh, the United States government uh, didn't have to provide any contestable proof. They they mm. they essentially could just say like, oh yeah, we know what he did, and it's a crime, and you should send him over to us. Yeah. Um, and many times when Parliament or or Gary's uh, barristers asked for uh, you know the case against Gary, uh, they were provided with nothing. I think it says a lot that Gary is still in England, not in jail, but Julian Assange, they took care of. Like, they could take care of Gary. I think it was a secondary or tertiary priority. Yeah. But then, nearly two years later, Gary got a win. Then, Home Secretary Theresa May informed the House of Commons that she was blocking the extradition of Gary McKinnon, saying, quote, Mr. McKinnon is accused of serious crimes, but there is also no doubt that he is seriously ill. He has Asperger's syndrome and suffers from depressive illness. Mr. McKinnon's extradition would give rise to such a high risk of him ending his life that a decision to extradite would be incompatible with Mr. McKinnon's human rights. Jordan, I got a note for you. What's your note? Theresa May has a notorious Scottish accent. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. McKinnon has got oh, cured. Better, better. Is that better? better? Okay, all right. Terrible. No, no, we don't, we don't do accents anymore. Too many people write in. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, better, this, it's better this way. Um, the subsequent UK case was also dropped, and it was over. Gary McKinnon was a free man. But the question remains, with his legal troubles behind him, did McKinnon's case bolster conspiracy theorists? Yes. Uh, did it add to the evidence <laughs> of a secret space program or just confirm what had already been proposed by people like Dr. Stephen Greer, McKinnon's hero? Even though Gary's court battles were international news, what about what he had claimed to have discovered? I'll let this clip from the History Channel's Ancient Aliens be the judge. <laughs> London, England, March 19th. 2002. At 8 a.m., the National High Tech Crime Unit arrives at the home of 34-year-old Scottish Systems Administrator Gary McKinnon. They are there to arrest him on behalf of the United States Justice Department and NASA. For the past year, McKinnon has been hacking into top-secret Pentagon <laughs> and NASA computers. What he uncovered were files that he claims could provide undeniable proof that the Majestic 12 and the secret space program it gave rise to truly exist. Amazing. That's generous. <laughs> wow. He, yeah. Again, yeah. I love that essentially like the reality of the situation is just that like they had basic Windows installation that ha that were like able to be penetrated super easy, you know, no admin passwords. And yet in this fucking ancient alien docs, it shows like a, a essentially like a minority report computer yeah, that's like yeah, where yeah. he's like hacking yeah. and well, all what this are they shit gonna say? incredible. Gary McKinnon clicked log in and was given <laughs> access. Also, that ancient aliens yeah. thing has like a flood of documents coming forth instead of a Piece of a <laughs> just one JPEG Absolutely. that he never got. Like he right. wasn't downloading shit. <laughs> he was trying to show it on the screen. <laughs> yeah, he just wanted to see it. He never even downloaded it. He just no. he says himself. He's like, uh, uh, I better call one up just to make sure it's 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 the real deal before I begin this 200 megabyte transfer, which could take hours. I don't well, know. I mean, this is like the first time I have encountered something like ancient aliens exaggerating stuff. Like <laughs> this seems really out of character for these folks. So. My friends, that was the only cool guy we're going to be looking at, uh, but I have a segment on the secret space program in question that was just mentioned in the Ancient Aliens episode. The secret space program. 
So today I'm going to attempt to explain a highly participative, far-ranging conspiracy theory that doubles as an elaborate alternate history, but is not QAnon. I'm talking about the Secret Space Program, or SSP, conspiracy theory. Before we get started, I feel that I should mention that the SSP should not be confused with any real disclosure of aviation, aerospace, or other military secrets to the public. Those do exist, but they compose a pitifully small portion of the SSP belief system, whose promoters instead use these nuggets of empirical truth as frosting on a much more exciting and fantastical cake baked full of warring extraterrestrial races, powerful secret societies, and technological cover-ups. Like I said, the SSP's roots lie not in the world of science, technology, or even rationalism. Instead, the secret space program is the product of 19th century theosophy, 20th century New Age thinking, and, as the century came to a close, millennialism, which broadly describes the age-old religious belief that a cataclysm is nigh and that this cataclysm will sweep away our stinky, imperfect world and usher humanity into some kind of golden age, utopia, or paradise. In QAnon language, it's the storm followed by The Great Awakening. The SSP also has a high level of overlap with QAnon among its promoters and believers. For example, one of the highest profile QAnon influencers, Jordan Sather, had already been involved in promoting the secret space program before QAnon even hit the scene. He now offers up a hybrid of both in his content. Jacob Chansley, also known as the Q Shaman, has claimed repeatedly that he was involved in the Super Soldier program, which is a huge subculture among SSP devotees. When Champ Perinya stole the design for Dylan Monroe's Q map, he replaced a good part of the esoteric knowledge with stuff he had taken from SSP, which means the most famous QAnon map now doubles as SSP propaganda. What's more, many of the main figures in SSP have at one time or another supported QAnon. Despite this insane overlap, it was really tough to find critical sources about SSP, and the majority of primary sources promoting the theory, of which of course there are many, are interminable, dense, and varying claims from source to source. It's hard to argue even that SSP has a set of common tenets because it kind of serves more as an umbrella conspiracy theory for whatever the particular promoter or believer is obsessed with at the time. I think they have a set of common tenets. Uh, SSP's <laughs> motto is hoorah and no aliens left behind. I'm fairly certain. <laughs> so true. Wasn't that one of them? Yeah. Yeah, and I think something like come on you apes, you want to live forever or uh, something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> I ju it just... I... <laughs> you maniacs! You blew it up. Is that one? Does that one work? Mm -hmm. I think that's one. Yeah, that's one of that's one of the bigger ones. I think. Adding to this confusion, SSP is also highly participative, like I mentioned, and relies on testimonials generated by believers, of which there is an ever-growing number on YouTube and in the various SSP pseudo documentaries and series hosted by who else? Gaia TV and the History Channel. But there is a core group of influencers that seems to pop up again and again, not just as sources of testimonials, but also as respected authors and pseudo-historians in the field. Undoubtedly, the two biggest names in SSP are David Wilcock and Corey Good, followed by Michael Sala, Jordan Sather, Mark Richards, Carrie Cassidy, Linda Moulton Howe, Mike Barra, and Laura Eisenhower. Yes, the great-granddaughter of American President Dwight D. Eisenhower is pilled as hell on the secret space program, believes she participated in it, and frequently appears in SSP videos and texts to provide her testimonial and, of course, expertise. I, I hate to stop you there, but <laughs> I believe there's some debate about whether or not she's actually Eisenhower's great-granddaughter. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I didn't even yeah. know that. Oh, great. I believe that that is not a consensus uh, <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, opinion. Well, I mean, of course the Eisenhowers would be trying to cut her out of the family fortune and now you're covering totally. up for them <laughs> totally 
She's just the weird, you know, great granddaughter. Look, then again, who am I to say? Because we all know that <laughs> Dwight Eisenhower is the one who made secret treaties and contracts with the aliens. So, That's true. I mean, obviously, it would be his great granddaughter. I mean, it's That's almost true. like it makes a convenient amount of sense. The type that, if you were developing a backstory for yourself, might be a helpful one for, you know, just a little bit of added extra clout right before the jump. True. This is, this is embarrassing. I've never had the Knowledge Fight Boys on just debunking me live. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a- adding cl- like adding a little flavor. <laughs> Real-time bullshit. That's what you get from uh. us. <laughs> for the purpose of clarity, I'm going to focus on the two top figures in the current field, starting with David Wilcock, whose history is useful to trace back the SSP belief system to its roots. At this point, I'd like to thank my main source on this matter, David G. Robertson, for his 2014 PhD thesis at the University of Edinburgh entitled Metaphysical Conspiracism, UFOs as Discursive Objects Between Popular Millennial and Conspiracist Fields. Edinburgh, do you want to do that in a Scottish accent? I think you do. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Edinburgh. <laughs> David Wilcock is a 48-year-old American from Rotterdam, New York. He is a best-selling author with several books out with Penguin Random House, and he claims to be the reincarnation of Edgar Case, a man greatly inspired by the theosophist Elena Blavatsky. Case built a career around his supposed clairvoyance and ability to channel past lives, of which he had, like, thousands. Yeah, but he also had the ability to fall asleep and diagnose medical conditions. (laughs) Yes. Uh, That was uh, his big claim to fame. The New York Times (laughs) did publish an article about how this idiot simpleton could be hypnotized into being a real doctor. (laughs) Incredibly. The sleeping mystic. <laughs> was that? I'm not. Was that I'm how not Jesus kidding. did his miracles? They had somebody hypnotize him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was just some some country simpleton, and they're like, "What if you were the son of God, buddy?" Like, what's fascinating is like a lot of the transcripts of his actual like hypnosis sessions. You can find like huge archives of them. Mm-hmm. They actually yep. did a good job of keeping track of some of them. Really? <laughs> That's yeah, they're, great. They're yes. A little bit long-winded <laughs> and boring. Yeah. <laughs> Emily Dickinson wanted to burn all of her poems, but there are reams upon reams. Of this dude's hypnosis bullshit. Yeah, a lot of it is just zzz, just snoring <laughs> too. It's weird. That well, that's also because you know when he died in 1945, he had 12 years prior founded the Association for Research and Enlightenment, or ARE, in Virginia, which is still in operation to this day. Keeps all those archives, like you said, and was key in the 1980s millennialist revival. Case predicted that the quote-unquote Aquarian Age would commence in 1998, when he himself would also return to Earth. Nailed Nailed it! it. (laughs) That year, his self-proclaimed reincarnation, David Wilcox, started offering dream readings for money, which he saw as fulfilling Case's prophecy. The ARE, however, have not endorsed uh, this claim of the return of of their master, so... Take that with a grain of salt. That's so funny. None of the people who believe in it would have the gall to just say it was them, right? No. So you can just walk in there. No, yeah. They, That's amazing. Well, they ne- they were like, I don't know. I think they just kind of stayed quiet on it because they have put out like, um, interestingly, because the guy's such a, a, a weirdo, but they put out this statement where it's like, well, we don't want to get too associated with like UFO people because <laughs> like, you know. It's going to discredit Case's legacy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Edgar Casey was uh, into uh, Atlantis and Lemuria, not this right. bullshit like UFOs. Exactly. Yeah. Come on. I just love it when one part of crazy looks at the other part and they're like, whoa, mm-hmm. you guys are nuts. Mm-mm. Before people write in, I will switch to Casey because it seems like Dan is on something here. I think that's the pronunciation. I, I might be wrong, but I've always known no. him as Ed- Edgar Casey. If I'm wrong from now on, it's your fault. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> 
From 2000 to 2002, Wilcock released three self-published books, and in 2004, he was interviewed twice by Art Bell on Coast to Coast AM, the legendary show, allowing him to reach a much larger audience. By 2011, his first non-self-published book came out entitled The Source Field Investigations, The Hidden Science and Lost Civilizations Behind the 2012 Prophecies. That's a nice gap there between (laughs) self-published and finally getting someone else to (laughs) argue bullshit. Well, he thought maybe Mm -hmm. spend a little time on this one, you know? Maybe write a good book. I don't think he did. (laughs) Around this time, he actually also uh, got into a thing they call uh, being a wanderer, which essentially is a starseed in today's parlance. But he was very early to the game. He got convinced he was a wanderer and then kind of, you know, tried to figure out why, how. Eventually figured out he was a reincarnation of Casey. Uh, But he also has like UFO experiences when he was a kid. So he's the kind of full package for secret space program. The only thing he's not is like a military insider, which, uh, but Corey Good has that side covered. So in that book, he promoted the millennialist idea that 2012 would usher in a golden age and a widespread acceptance of a greater reality, including better contact with what he called the source field through, of course, our pineal gland. But Wilcock didn't just offer up a utopian vision for his readers. He also explained that the Illuminati were perverting the arrival of the golden age to impose, of course, a new world order on humanity. In the book, Wilcock also lays out a panoply of claims about things like crop circles, UFOs, pyramids, stone circles, time travel, and ley lines. He urges his readers to, quote, access their higher selves in an effort to fight back against the Illuminati. Here's from Robertson. One of Wilcox's insider informants was referred to simply as Drake. Was that uh, the guy who was on Degrassi? I think it might be. Uh, (laughs) Who claimed to be an Illuminati insider who had defected and gone public. His claim was that around 1979, he had come into contact with a five-inch thick plan to restore a de jure government to the U.S. That is, one which fulfills the requirements as set out in the U.S. Constitution with the support of the military. Drake claims that the plan is, as of 2012, imminently to be executed, and that this is evinced by the multiple resignations by individuals whose positions of power are likely to be compromised by this, including the military, politicians, and royals. He then predicts that the G5 countries, the UK, US, Germany, France, and Italy, those who would not resign were imminently to be arrested en masse. The plan outlined by Drake is therefore a silent, bloodless coup, and therefore resilient to falsification. So this sounds a lot uh, like the storm, basically. (laughs) It's crazy how that happens like once every three or four years. There have been an absurd number of silent coups. So many. Ugh, forever. Yeah. It's so funny because it's always like, Coups on like uh, the the G literally the only people who don't have coups the G five countries <laughs> the people yeah. who do the coups he <laughs> just got it like completely ass backwards I love it by 2013 Wilcock had a show with Gaia TV the precursor to Gaia to this day he's one of the most prevalent faces if you browse the network's offerings extraterrestrials of course play a huge role in Wilcock's story like I mentioned he claims to have had encounters with alien beings and their craft in childhood. And this is where things get tricky. The secret space program conspiracy theory provides a whiteboard for a wild array of claims about alien races like the ancient builders, the Orions, the Blue Avians, the Greys, the Nordics, the Draco, aka Reptilians, and even some sort of raptor race. It's a huge mess, and even the main promoters don't seem to have extensively checked in with each other before sharing their version of SSP. To give you an idea of the alternate histories woven by these promoters, here are Michael Sala, David Wilcock, and Corey Good, all in the 2019 movie The Cosmic Secret. 
I'm Dr. Michael Sala. I'm the author of the Secret Space Program book series. I'm investigating ways to introduce information concerning classified technologies that have been suppressed from the general public for decades and are now going to be released, we think, in the very short future. Some of you might be asking, well, how could giant bases be built on the moon? Well, we know, according to a group of Japanese scientists that released a paper in 2017, that giant caverns have been discovered in the moon and that one of these caverns is big enough to house the entire metropolitan region of Philadelphia within it. The people who were involved in this ancient builder race seem to have mysteriously disappeared and the cultures that came after them worshipped them as gods. They would emulate their architecture. The people who were on Mars, which we call the progenitor race, they actually built their own structures that were very similar to what they had found all throughout our solar system. <gasps> we had Tiamat, which they say is a basically a supermassive Earth. And we had Maldek, which was Mars, much smaller than Earth, but it was behaving as a moon around Tiamat. Two different civilizations <laughs> had developed, and they were very similar. The uh, <laughs> beings on Tiamat, um, they, they all had these elongated skulls that we've seen in uh, various uh, studies, but they were slightly different. The, um, the beings on Tiamat were slightly taller and had different shaped skulls. The beings on Maldek were slightly skinnier and smaller and again had slightly different skulls, but they were genetically related. They were considered basically cousins and they had royal families from both sides that were in competition with each other and warred with one another. So at some point, this group that we call the Preadamites, they entered into warfare with another civilization that is in our local 52 star cluster. And they developed this plan to harness the ancient builder race grid and to use it as a weapon against their enemies. And this grid, it works through what we call the cosmic web. Every star, every planet is connected with an electromagnetic filament. And that's how portal travel works. You travel through these electromagnetic filaments. Sure. So that is like, there's not a single thing in there that's true. It's just a series of invented names for planets. The, the, the Mars used to be the moon of some other planet. You are so closed-minded. <laughs> <laughs> None of that stuff is true. None Come of, on. It. Some None. of it. Might be. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but Julian, have, haven't you seen, there was a documentary <laughs> that came out, I think in the mid-90s, about an American scientist, um, an archaeologist, who was actually able to decode the symbols um, on this, you know, ancient ring-like artifact um, that's, that somebody had dug up. And it, he you know, he walks through the ring and he is in a, a you know, a sort of ancient, almost uh, Egyptian, uh, you know, Egyptian-like society. Yeah. You guys don't remember oh, that? Oh, is Kurt Russell? Yeah, Kurt Russell was one of the commanders in charge of the operation. And then um, <laughs> I believe the scientist's name was James Spader. <laughs> I like that uh, the depictions of the aliens in that uh, clip that you played had nipples. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, come on. But no genitals. For milking. I mean, there, there look, are mammals. If Batman has nipples, 
then well, Batman's a mammal. Well, I mean, well, the suit doesn't need him. It, it's like I think I think they were aiming for like a smooth crotch, but the the 3D model is so bad that it looks like the, just like a weird little micro peen protruding. It's upsetting. I love I love these these bullshit videos, and I love the idiots who tell me all these stories because it always reveals like how small their imagination is. Like you, they can all imagine two people warring with kings and queens or whatever, but none of them can imagine like just good governance. Like. No, None of these, none of these fucking conspiracies have somebody uh, just uh, be like, uh, everybody's fine. Let me tell you about the Pleiadians. <laughs> They're yeah. terrible governance. I thought the yeah. Blue Avians were good too, though. Yeah, let me tell you about Phil Schneider and his <laughs> underground battle with a hundred alien greys. Yeah. If you want to hear about good governance, let me tell you about all of the aliens that are code for white people. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the, also, the, I think good oh governance by any uh, space creature that is in contact with us would just be to nuke our planet just ended for us that's yeah. the good governance yeah, it'd be worse <laughs> start with the twitter headquarters and let the ripples go from there yeah i don't think anyone was here about it's like uh yeah there's this planet and they have really a wonky uh, competent administration and the infrastructure <laughs> yeah. works really well the trash is taken out the highways are well maintained who gives a shit yeah. the systems built around public transportation it's great it's great <laughs> They also have a Cuomo. <laughs> I'll bet their citizens have affordable heat, though. Mm. Nobody's dying of hyperthermia out there unless you forget to put your helmet on, you know, when you go out the airlock. <laughs> well, actually, they do believe that there's like a geothermally heated uh, ice cave under Antarctica where the Draco reptilians live, uh, and they were installed there by the Nazis. Right, right. And that, that links in with uh, the Admiral Byrd story, yes. right? His his yes. his tale of, of flying into the inside of the inner Earth uh, up around Antarctica. Project High Jump. Recurring in SSP materials are claims of thermally heated underground cities in Antarctica filled with Dracos, extraterrestrials living in caverns below the moon's surface, Nazis reverse engineering alien technology, massive ongoing intergalactic wars, off-world human colonies, deep underground military bases, and even a full-blown super soldier program. If you're familiar with Ancient Aliens and the History Channel, you'll recognize a lot of the reference used in the SSP. The story of Admiral Richard Byrd in Project High Jump, for example, which saw the Nazis fighting alien craft over Antarctica. Or the story of Maria Orsic, who channeled ETs for the Nazis as part of their secret Vril Society. Or even mentions of mysterious government programs like Solar Warden and Majestic 12, usually inferring that the world government, run by the Draco Illuminati Cabal, is covering up the existence of secret technologies and in the process depriving us of very cool stuff like free energy, anti-gravity, time travel, extrasensory perception, and a variety of cool alien crafts. Evil alien races bent on controlling us do it for a very specific reason, according to SSP. The extraction of louche. Louche! Human... <laughs> Sorry. It's a knee-jerk reaction. You I gotta say louche. Yeah, he can't myself. stop himself. <laughs> Which is human emotional and spiritual energy. Of course, it's not a thing. It's not a scientific thing. This uh, closely resembles, though, and is often supplanted in the newer SSP stuff by the fresher, cooler concept of adrenochrome. Like I mentioned earlier, SSP quickly became fused with QAnon due to their high level of overlap and compatibility. In 2019, MJ Banyas wrote an article for Vice's motherboard entitled QAnon and UFO Conspiracy Theories Are Merging, in which he observed, quote, the rise of a new politically laden conspiracy movement that bridges the gap between Trump's election, UFOs, the deep state, and aliens. 
In the article, Banyan interviews Jordan Sather, who explains that Q is, quote, an avenue to increase public awareness about the information and connections these powers that be have been trying to hide from us, with UFOs being one of those secrets. They are working for disclosure of many truths, not just extraterrestrial life and secret space programs already existing. In late 2018, Jordan Sather collaborated with Corey Good, David Wilcock, and others on the movie Above Majestic that describes the secret space program conspiracy theory and then veers deep into QAnon territory, including claims that Trump wanted to declassify SSP-related materials due to his uncle's relationship with Nikola Tesla and that whoever was behind QAnon was in contact with extraterrestrials. None of this, of course, came to fruition, but the movie still sits on major streaming platforms and is well-known in the scene. Here's part of the trailer for it. The gravest error a thinking person can make is to believe that one particular version of history is absolute fact. History is recorded by a series of observers, none of whom are impartial. RF-4 jets spotted and took photographs of a huge carving in the desert over a thousand feet across. No tire tracks and no footprints. The Germans had a settlement on the moon, they had a settlement on Mars, and they were doing this as early as 1939. <laughs> Between the age of 16 and 17 years old, I was transported to the moon, and after 20 years, I was age regressed back in time and then returned to civilian life. Extraterrestrial spacecraft have appeared over nuclear missile installations and have completely powered them down. We put together programs that went all the way out into the galaxy, not just this galaxy. According to some estimates, we cannot track $2.3 trillion in transactions. This money is going into underground military bases and secret space programs with technology far beyond what many of us could even realize. Everything we learn is designed to program our minds away from the truth. This film is the red pill that wakes you up to what's really going on in the world. And at some point, this is all going to break open. you get involved the more compromised you become they may actually kill you like i don't want to watch the movie if they're wow. gonna fucking kill me <laughs> has anybody wow. told these people that you can hack into the government because they just don't put passwords on shit <laughs> <laughs> like are you are you gonna tell me that the government that the nazis have already had space moon bases or whatever also david wilk yeah. a great uh counterpoint to you get too deep into this, they'll kill you. Yeah. <laughs> he seems to be doing fine and has been around for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> also, if the if the Germans had moon bases, did they just move out? Yeah, why didn't they? They could have done a lot with a moon That's base. That's a lot of sunk costs. Yeah. Just yeah. going to move out of the moon? Oh, the Russians beat us, so we're going to move? Please. Get out of here. They do have an explanation for that. The rent was too high. I mean, you know, they're because of inflation. I mean, you know, times are changing you know they're doing yeah. their end of the month calculations so, and they're going you know these motherfucking raptors are charging us two billion dollars a month to there's, stay there's up no here. rent control on the moon but god damn it yeah they're like we can either buy groceries or we can keep up this moon base like what is it what is it guys the actual explanation for it that they have is that essentially as the germans saw that they were starting to lose the war 
They had already fought a war on the side of some aliens and signed a treaty with the Draco. They were fighting another race over Antarctica, and that race obviously weakened them. They were going to lose World War II. They decided to bury this shit in Antarctica, moved it all there. And then the Americans, through paperclip, took over the project, and that's when everything got sealed up and locked away, including free energy, etc. I retract my question. That makes total yeah, sense. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of airtight. Yeah. yeah, that's history, baby. Dan and Jordan, I don't know if you guys know this, but... But um, there is a video game called World of Warplanes, and there is a <laughs> DLC uh, where, I, or it might be World of Warships. It's one of those like free to play kind of like, uh, you know, plane, ship, tank like PvP games and they have a DLC where where you actually take control over uh United States uh Navy in Antarctica and fight flying saucers. So <laughs> this is um yeah. yeah, it's great. It's I haven't played it but predictive programming. It's legit. Now let's take a look at one of the other guys you heard in that video. Supposed SSP insider and longtime Wilcock collaborator Corey Good, who always looks like he's about to cry. Here's from his own website. Identified as an intuitive empath, Corey Good was recruited through one of the MyLab programs at the young age of six. MyLab is a term coined for the military abduction of a person that indoctrinates and trains them for any number of military black ops programs. Good trained and served in the MyLab program from 1976 to 1986. Toward the end of his time at MyLab, he was assigned to fill an IE support role for the rotating Earth delegate seat shared by secret Earth government groups in a human-type E.T. Super Federation Council. Such an honor. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck, man? Mom, I'm finally getting rotated into my seat! (laughs) Local boy makes good. Delegate to human type council. <laughs> Going from pumping gas to joining the International Space Program. This is just the ending of Mass Effect 1, where you have to pick what the council does. And of course, they fail. They suck because the Super Federation Council's about as good as our Congress. Good's IE abilities played an important role in communicating with, interfacing with, non terrestrial beings as part of one of the secret space programs, SSP. During his 20 years' service, he had a variety of experiences and assignments including the Intruder Intercept Interrogation Program, assignment to the ASSR, Auxiliary Specialized Space Research, the SRV, Interstellar Class Vessel, and much more. This all occurred in a 20 and back agreement from the 1986-87 to 2007, with recall work continuing up to the present day. <laughs> I love that. I love a tw- I love when you add like a just a little 20 and back. You know, the the regular old thing that well, we've that heard we this before. Yeah, 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 we space marines say all the time, you know. Yeah, that's the when they put you back. back in your body 20 years in the- Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, but it's so they they talk about it so much. They've got to have a shorter the 20 and back, you yeah. know. Ah, happens all the time. Yeah. Also, like recall work, he's trying to sound like the the like the mafia guy, you know, be like, ah, oh, just when I thought I was out, they pulled <laughs> me back in. One last job, Mister Good. Yeah, they need something catchier, like twenty three and me, you know, some anything, <laughs> as, you know, some, something, something that rhymes. Also, it's so funny that like we have harvested the power of the universe, uh, but we cannot remember uh, whether the service ended in nineteen eighty, maybe eighty seven. <laughs> we're, we're not. It's we're his not own quite bio. Sure. <laughs> I do like the narcissism too of it being like I'm so important that they need to bring me back. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this yeah. is interstellar yeah. nonsense, <laughs> and 
I I am still so important to their plans. There's ten warring races that can all travel across galaxies, yeah. but this fucking guy better be there. Yeah. Okay, the next paragraph I really like because it, it makes clear what he really does, and he even has to like differentiate his actual service from all his crazy claims. Good now works in the information technology and communications industry with 20 years experience in hardware and software virtualization, physical and IT security, counter-electronic surveillance, risk assessment, and executive protection, and served in the Texas Army State Guard 2007 to 2012. Command, control, communications, computation, and intelligence. Good alliteration there. (laughs) (laughs) The time in the Texas military forces was unrelated to the secret space program service. (laughs) They made him put that in. They for sure oh got God. in touch and were like, man. And wait, Whew. isn't the Texas Army State Guard literally what like Dwight Schrute is in, like the, the voluntary <laughs> force? <laughs> and, and I don't believe that the Secret Space Program doesn't have a presence in the Texas Army State Guard. <laughs> Please. Yeah. <laughs> they got to have somebody watching him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they want you to think that yeah. it wasn't involved. Yeah, exactly. Please. Yeah, yeah a whole on. separate. Uh, yeah, there's a whole separate division used just to keep an eye on him. <laughs> he's like, I, he's like, I used to groom dogs. Please keep in mind that Trudy's dog grooming does not support the claims of the secret space program. <laughs> I wish everybody at the Genius Bar at the Apple Store had the same backstory. <laughs> Jokes yeah. on you, they do. <laughs> That's probably yeah, they true. Do, You're dude. right. If you let them talk, retracted. <laughs> Good continues his IE work now and remains in direct physical contact with the blue avians of the Sphere Being Alliance, who have chosen him as a delegate to interface with multiple ET federations and consuls on their behalf, liaison with the SSP Alliance Council, and deliver important messages to humanity. Right. What an honor. The Sphere Being Alliance. Sure. That's just too good. He created that. It's his website name and shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what how that suggests you, to how me. How dare you? He did not create <laughs> no. that. No. What it suggests to me <laughs> how is dare that you? there are sphere beings right. created there. There are a large number of <laughs> sphere being type races out there, and all of them saw each other and were like, well, obviously we got to get together. You're a sphere, right. I'm a sphere. Alliance it up. They were together with the blue avians. They were like, take out your laptop. Could you go to godaddy.com? <laughs> we need you to do something for us. <laughs> <laughs> we got to incorporate this sphere being alliance. Thank God that you are. They're like five dollars and ninety nine cents a month. Why that comes out to twelve hundred billion space coins. I don't know. I do wonder if like he thinks he's a sphere, like he's a Pac-Man style guy when he meets with the avians. I feel like the sphere of beings are ones that have rounded, like our fingers are roundish. Right. You know, there's round, it's not sharp angles. Sure, sure, sure. That's what I think. I think every other alien race has like right angles. Yeah. So true. Um, so in a 2020 article by MJ Banyas, he details the grifts that Wilcock and Good are currently collaborating on. While the two men have expressly denied being religious or spiritual leaders, it's unclear why, and when contacted for comment, they responded with legal letters. They do offer what sound a lot like religious and spiritual courses. Wilcock explains that salvation from certain doom is to be had through ascension. According to Wilcock, those who are ready will have their consciousness live on in higher dimensional states with the good ETs. Through meditation, having a little more than 50% of your thoughts and actions be in service to others, and merely being open-minded, he says, a person's consciousness can be spared from the catastrophe the aliens are about to induce. 
he asks his followers to continue following him, consume his printed digital content, and pay $533 for his seven-session Ascension Mystery School. He also, at times, asks for donations. I was a Hufflepuff at uh, Ascension Mystery School, I believe. I mean, that's nothing <laughs> to pay to get away from the tragedy that the aliens are about to bring I, upon us. I mean, it's <laughs> he's almost giving it away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the kids just call Ascension Mystery School like a Molly party now. <laughs> Following in Wilcox's footsteps, Good has launched what he calls the Accelerating Ascension Online Course. Quote, quite literally, Corey is the Enoch of our modern times, the site says. <laughs> Sent to our planet to reignite the Christ consciousness message of love, forgiveness, and service to others in preparation for the most extraordinary time in our recorded history. Not only is Good claiming to be a pseudo-biblical messenger, he is promoting the same apocalyptic event as Wilcock. His course teaches people about safe zones, preparing their family, and building a local network. The 10-week course costs $333.33. Well, that's easy to remember. (laughs) (laughs) Also, that's supposed to be accelerated ascension. Ascension, that's 10 weeks as opposed to the seven courses. Yeah, but it's 200 off. (laughs) True. He fell asleep on the three key. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The foundation of their ideas is based on a 1984 book, which claims to be the channeled words of a supposed divine being named Ra called The Law of One. Like many religious texts, it teaches that love and light are the two essential forces which make up the fabric of the universe. Unsurprisingly, Good and Wilcock have threatened Vice and other individuals speaking out against them with legal action, accusing them of stalking and conspiring to defame the innocent SSP promoters. It shouldn't be a surprise, but both Wilcock and Good are incredibly messy bitches. You'll be joining that list soon, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm definitely a messy bitch. That's why I recognize my own. I I meant the getting a legal threat from them. Both of those things are true, damn. (laughs) For example, uh, I found this insane rant from 2019 by Good that he posted to his own website. In it, he reprints multiple Q-drops and makes wild accusations about a quote-unquote dark alliance of deep state agents plotting to destroy him, presumably with the help of the Draco Illuminati New World Order. Important to note, they are non-spherical, the Dark Alliance. No spheres in <laughs> All right angles. Yeah. All right angles. He, yeah, he, he was like, we have to come up with another name because ours is the Alliance, which is positive, and he came up with Dark Alliance. I'm not joking. That's He explains. Almost immediately after I stepped forward and became a public figure, a variety of harassing and intensely threatening events took place. This included an attempted poisoning by someone trying to hand me a drink at the airport. Individuals parked outside my home appeared to be watching me. My home was then attacked, and the door frame was visibly broken. Strobing lights were flashed into my children's windows at night to terrify them. Water hose valves were turned on and left running outside my house during the nighttime hours! A military Chinook helicopter hovered directly over my backyard until I came outside, with one of its operators staring right at me before circling my house, and I filmed and distributed the end of that experience, <laughs> not the part, not the part with the that would prove the uh, the end of it. I felt. I, lo- I love that he's it. like he's like describing these traumatic experiences, and he's like, I made content out of that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that totally almost proves what I'm saying is true. Yeah. He continues. I walked out into the yard in a separate incident with my son and saw green laser dots on my chest. Yeah. Child protective services were called, and an attempt <laughs> was course. made to have my children stolen from me, saying I was the leader of. 
a dangerous cult and that my children faced an imminent threat, <laughs> which they did. <laughs> I was reported to an NGO at the United Nations that specializes in cults. My colleague was threatened in only six days after he ignored the threat. The brakes went out on his car. <laughs> <laughs> Only six days. So many things. <laughs> While his fiance was driving it. <laughs> in October of 2018, we had to cancel an event in Boulder, Colorado due to security concerns at great expense to us and those that planned to attend the event. I have had to take legal action against a number of stalkers, one of whom claims she married me in another dimension. And that I stole her dream visions and used them as my own content, which seems oh. unfair. <laughs> After meeting certain individuals at an aeronautics conference at a hotel I was staying at, I became violently ill, started vomiting black goo, and ended up in the emergency room, and so on. Please review the following articles and videos closely to understand the complexity and coordination of the attack campaign against anyone associated with me. Corey, <laughs> Corey goes on for more than 3,600 words. Uh, then why didn't you let me read all glorious 3,600 of them? <laughs> that is read out loud about half an hour of talking. Of just ranting. It's amazing. I like that he goes on for 3,600 words, but also says, like, I threw up black goo and so on. And so on. And so on. (laughs) You get the the picture. (laughs) Yeah. And and like I said, there are literally screen caps of Q drops like three or four times throughout this article where he's he's explaining that it's all part of that, too. Oh, boy. It's it's very wild. He is completely gone. Like, he is very much gone. Amazing. So it's Corey not so good. Yeah, Corey... (laughs) Damn, Corey's shit, but with an E at the end. (laughs) What's interesting about the secret space program conspiracy theory is that, like I said, there's a real lack of non-pilled sources covering them at all. There's no Wikipedia entry for the biggest promoters. There's no article or video laying out the whole scene in a succinct manner. But reading Robertson's PhD thesis proved useful in understanding the movement's lineage. It appears to have been born in the 60s and 70s, seeing a revival as the millennium approached its end and the utopian movements of yore receded into memory. Connective figures between theosophists like Helena Blavatsky and the contemporary SSP scene include Discordian Robert Anton Wilson, who we've covered previously. Uh, He's the author of the Cosmic Trigger trilogy. The ethnobotanist-turned-psychedelic philosopher Terence McKenna, and his time wave zero theory. We've also covered him. And Jose Arguelles, a New Age author who penned a millennial reading of Mayan mythology that said the world was essentially going to end in 2012. So all of these contributed to making the year 2012 a focus for a bunch of different doomsday predictions, ranging from Christian to New Age and in between like this, and other more utopian forms, of course, of just mass ascension. It's all going to be good after that. The secret space program conspiracy theory was built on the back of this exact 2012 millennialism by David Wilcock and his crew, who seemed to basically be veering into full-on insane cult territory, we're being gang-stalked, like, it's a very paranoid scene at this point, and I understand why, because all the UFologists in general fucking hate them. Like, they're just like, (laughs) fucking leave us alone, you cranks. Yeah, hard not to. Yeah, I saw multiple, like pieces of content like by UFO people being like, I can't believe this motherfucker is trying to essentially, uh, because I believe um, 
Wilcock tried to copyright the term uh, secret space program. And so they got fucking pissed at him because they're like, well, what, what do you mean? Like, that's like a concept. Like, what? <laughs> he also fought, he got into a huge fight with Gaia. Like, he's like a years long litigation with Gaia, even though he's all over the platform. You mean the network or Mother Earth? Yeah, <laughs> yeah both. <laughs> both. Both. Different uh, galactic uh, councils yeah. dealing with uh, sure. each lawsuit. But he's a proven and convicted litterer, and he also uh, is on the Gaia <laughs> network. <laughs> <laughs> Rarely hear someone being accused of being a convicted literary. At 4.03 p.m., we witnessed him unwrap uh, the Snickers bar. He ate the candy and then tossed the wrapper onto the sidewalk. Onto mother fucking earth. Now, Your Honor, there is no body cam footage of me <laughs> dropping this alleged wrapper. Did you or did you not desecrate Gaia, mother of all things, energy that unifies the universe? <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, the secret space program is super, like, open-ended in many different ways. And there's, like, a million things that I could explore around this. And I'm sure it's not going to be the last episode we do on this topic. But since we're hanging out with the Knowledge Fight Boys, I think we need to start getting into certain incarcerated individuals and or raptor aliens. Sure. Oh, yeah. There's a lot lot to lot to touch on in this here uh, minefield. <laughs> <laughs> Holy so shit. So what, you know, what do you think of this Project Camelot thing? Like, what makes it kind of stand out in the SSP scene? Uh, look, I want to say this right off the bat. I have nothing but utter disrespect for this topic. I <laughs> have, When Jordan uh, told me that you guys wanted to do an episode about this, I said, okay, but I don't care about this stuff at all. <laughs> we cover this like Project Camelot stuff because prior to us doing the podcast, it was one of the things that I would sometimes see on, on YouTube pop up, and I'd be like, this is amazing nonsense. It was just, it seemed like so fun because the characterizations of these aliens that are apparently in this whole weird cosmology um, are, are just, there's, there's a fancifulness and acuteness to it that felt so distinct from the ugliness of talking about Alex Jones. And then unfortunately, it's very similar um, in the end. Yeah, we thought that we were talking about people who enjoyed all of these alien races, like 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 Pokemon. You know, like oh look, this mm -hmm. is this is a cool like dog, but it's a mer merchant. You know, like yeah. that kind of the fun mercantile stuff. dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think all these people are light and fun, and then you're like, oh no, 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 this is just racism. This is all racism. Yeah, they're right. trying to find a way to say <laughs> we don't like non-white people without saying right. it. You know, um, I'm post I'm posting to uh, my neighbor app to uh, uh, alert you that a raptor just walked by with sla uh, slouching jeans. It, it yeah. appeared to be an urban style, hip hop style raptor. I was I was thinking about this early, very early on in the episode when you talked about the raptor race. About how would they dress themselves? Would they would, do they have tails? Is there a hole in the in their in fun. their buttocks? Uh, you know, uh, for the tail. There is a fun uh, answer to this. They do not dress themselves. Uh -uh. They are in the raw. Uh -huh. um, okay, and you know this because. Uh, you know that walking with the dinosaurs thing that uh, mm -hmm. you know that that exhibit that would go around with all the animatronic dinosaurs. Right, right. Some of them were actually real raptors because they get a <laughs> kick out of coming around and seeing people react to the fake raptors. They 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 like pranks. Yeah, they're, they're silly. They're a little bit like the the Amazing. you know moving statues in mm -hmm. and the boardwalk of uh, New York. You know they'll just be sitting there all quiet and then they'll be like, ah, I'm a raptor, and you'll be like, no. Also, a couple of the uh, uh, raptors in Jurassic World were real raptors. Yes. 
Yeah. Not all of them. No. Okay. <laughs> I think blue. I think blue. Blue was, was yes. It was very specifically okay. not all of them. Yeah. Because that would be ridiculous. Blue was real, of course. How else would she talk to Owen and they have such great chemistry on screen? <laughs> um, but you guys are essentially telling me that when I went to Universal Studios like a couple months ago, that I was interacting with an intergalactic race. I mean, this changes everything. You probably were. I, I, actually, let me ask you a question. Did you at yes. any point in time have a bar? of chocolate on you um no but well that's that's why you're still alive today it's true i did have a mug of a uh, frozen butter beer raptors <laughs> will kill you for chocolate yeah that's one of their what? character traits it's one of the most important things that we were discussing <laughs> it came out it's very consistent and what's what's yeah. crazy about it is that raptors will not immediately kill you for chocolate they are willing to negotiate mm -hmm. but sometimes they'll okay. just kill you they for have chocolate. to think about it yeah. okay yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They like humans, but they will eat children uh, sure. if they don't get the chocolate. But that's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this wow. all sounds entirely made up. <laughs> well, because does. it is. But 100. We're relating this from somebody else who made it up. Yeah, yeah. So most of what uh, most of our raptor knowledge comes from uh, the man Mark Richards himself. Yeah, the murderer. The mm. murderer mm -hmm. Mark Richards, uh, who right. I know we're going to get into his, his life story a little bit, but the relationship that he has with Carrie Cassidy is uh, a special one. Uh, and should be cherished. She goes to Vacaville Prison uh, every now and again, uh, is not allowed to bring a pen with her. She complains about that a lot. Furious. Okay. Uh, <laughs> she goes and spends about an hour or two letting Mark Richards tell her lies about the universe. In theory, we've we've discussed this uh, because there's no recording allowed. Oh, that's true. There really is no proof that even this murderer is telling her these things. <laughs> that's well, true. We really have to take a step back and look at like what we can prove, and basically we can prove that she's saying these things. Well, I think I think we have one good piece of evidence, which is the novel that uh, Captain Mark Richards wrote. Uh, uh, this is true. It is, uh, you know, it would suggest that the man could make up these these stories. He has an imagination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mako, Shark Rampant, and, uh, <laughs> and None friends. of this makes any sense None to of it anybody makes sense. listening. I love it. We're just going to okay. keep talking. It's okay. <laughs> I just need you to enter the mind palace of this man and explain what his story <laughs> is according to him. Okay, so... Mark Richards is the son of Ellis Richards, who is also known as the Dutchman. And he is a legend in the uh, the space world. He is like a... What did he do? do you, he won the Cold War or <laughs> he something? Did. He did. He's, he's very accomplished. He was best friends with uh, <laughs> Churchill. Yes. They were buddies. Mm. And so as a child, Mark was uh, all around this stuff. He was friends with aliens and all this stuff. And you know, he was bred to, and raised to be uh, in the secret space program. Uh, he ended up uh, getting into... All sorts of fun magic battles. Oh, yeah. He, he married a raptor princess. Of course. Okay. Uh, uh, sort of. Sort <laughs> That's of. That's right. That's right. Because he's also married yeah. to a human woman. Yes. Um, but, yeah. he also, So that would be bigamy. Yeah, it's true. It's yeah, just, yeah. There's mm -hmm. no space bigamy. <laughs> it's part no. of the treaties. He flew around in this fun spaceship named Minerva that is a uh, sentient spacecraft mm -hmm. uh, that uh, only he can fly. She won't fly with anybody else. Only, only Mark can captain <laughs> right. Minerva. Yeah. Right. Right. I like that the tenor so far of this has gone, you guys told us very interesting stories about real people and how they lived their lives, and now we're going to tell you about a murderer and his lying fake story that he likes to tell. Therein is the problem with the SSP, is that most...
most of the content, it feels like you're being told like a dream because there's no repercussions, not, not even like basic physics or logic are followed. So it just feels like, okay, then you were in like the graveyard and then you were flying through the sky with your dead grandma. And then now you're, it's like, it's hard to follow. Um, but, but this guy's more interesting because not only did he date a raptor princess, but married. <laughs> Mar- sorry. Get it of right. Yeah. <laughs> Big difference. He made an honest raptor out of her. <laughs> <laughs> the royal family is very litigious. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, while you know, while he's doing cool stuff off planet, it might be to escape the fact that on Earth he committed murder and was convicted and is now in jail. Yeah. Tell us well, about that. Here's the, here's the problem with that. The truth is that he actually didn't do this murder Mm-mm. because he was off planet at the time. Mm-hmm. He was on a mission mm-hmm. off planet, so he po- he couldn't right. possibly have done this. Nope. It was a setup because he knew too much or something mm. like that. So he's in prison, but it's actually not that big a deal because he can astral travel. Uh, He could get out of prison whenever he wants, and that's how he stays up to date on all the goings-on of the the alien races. He's still feeding (laughs) SSP stuff back into the community from jail? He had been until, I think, COVID, because I don't think she's been able to go visit him in jail. But up till that point, she'd gone 11 times and visited Mm -hmm. him and then done videos where she, uh, Carrie would relate what Mark had told her, Mm -hmm. allegedly. Uh, in these uh, these interviews that she did, and yeah, so they and she's uh, like he, Mark is her primary source. Like she thinks that he is the like absolutely the most credible in-depth. He seems like the guy who, whenever, you know, because the the overarching storyline is so incomprehensible when you start interviewing multiple SSP members, because they're all making up their own thing, you know? Right. His his cosmology, Mark Richards' overarching story, is the one that can't be broken. So if somebody's on right. her show saying something like, saying something that contradicts Mark Richards' mm, story, yeah. you're wrong. Right. Yeah, that's how this guy Eddie Page got in trouble. Yeah, he was contradicting yeah. Mark, and then and he then you're gonna get yeah got the boot. She's extraordinarily unpleasant with her guests, right? Uh, only if they disrespect Mark Richards. Okay, that's it. <laughs> yeah. then, right. then she she kind of gets on the attack, but generally, no, she's not too bad. She's not too confrontational. Yeah, I mean, we nicknamed her Sweary Carrie because she said she, fuck. A she couple said times. fuck a couple of times, mm-hmm. and it was it's it so seemed out of character for this. Uh, 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 petite woman to just uh, randomly throw out fuck so I nicknamed her Sweary Carrie. And, and she's under control most of the time. Yeah. Like, she doesn't seem like yeah. a raving person. Mm-hmm. And then to just to have the, these like outbursts of obscenity was yeah. kind of delightful. It's very fun. So in 3D Earth courts though, like what did, what did he do? So he, um, well, it's it's pretty complicated, but the long and short of it is there's a guy who owed him some money, and so he had some guys who worked on his, like, construction crew, and he paid them to go with him to the guy's house. Children, and, too. Well, yeah, like yeah. 17, 17, 16-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so one of them uh, murdered the guy with, like, a screwdriver, and then they oh. tried to throw his body in the bay, and uh, it didn't work. They didn't oh. weigh it down properly, so then they ended up getting caught, and, uh, yeah, they all went to prison. That's so fucking terrestrial. Like, I don't know. That feels kind of dingy for a space captain. Well, well, turns out uh, if, I, <laughs> if I could be totally like put all my cards on the table, he's not a space captain. This is all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
He's a guy who yeah. had a minor kill somebody with a screwdriver. Yeah. And then w- they found in his uh, in his home the plans to, uh, I believe, separate county Marin County Marin County from the terrestrial United States. He had wanted to knock down the uh, the bridge that connected Marin County to the rest of California, and then install lasers and mm-hmm. stuff, and create his own like Camelot. Yeah. His own. Uh, he wanted to be King Arthur. He was going to be Pendragon. Yeah. Yes, that's it. Like they went pretty far with this. There were weapons purchased and stuff, and the group got assembled, if I remember correctly. I don't think it was assembled that well, and I know they didn't have lasers. I can tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Damn. Well, that is good stuff. I mean, it does, again, it is is like a a dream being told to you, you know, because, you know, it's like raptors and the chocolate. Like, can't they just stay focused a little bit? Like, the super soldier people are a bit more focused. Well, but see, here's the thing. Uh, Raptors are also mostly on Earth because they like antiquing. That's another thing that brings them to (laughs) Earth. So (laughs) It's those, like, little elements, you know? Normally, when you're getting told a dream, you're like, yeah, 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 I get it. Hurry up. But whenever he adds those little tiny details in there of just like, and they like antiquing. You're like, oh, that's nice. And I should be clear. Those are legitimately the only things that interest me about any of this. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Like any of these episodes, I just want to hear about how the raptor aliens like to come <laughs> and look at uh, like old uh, armoires. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when you look at like raptor physiognomy, you can tell that they'd be great with ancient furniture that could chip easily. Very delicate hands. They're all claws. They have hands that are basically being phased out of their evolutionary gene pool. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, just great stuff. Damn. <laughs> Damn. But there's also secret uh, space program super soldiers that show up on Project Camelot a bit. Like, there's mm-hmm. Randy Kramer. Of course. The, the legendary guy who's pulling out the med beds, which I hear is actually a QAnon thing now, uh, what I yes. understand. Mm-hmm. They found some set photos from Prometheus, and that, that gave it, uh, you know, a new life. But also the Michael Protzman people are getting into that stuff, right? They're also drinking bleach. They're doing like the full QAnon, like 90 day challenge or something. Fucking sweet. What if we do one of each? Yeah. I'm waiting for the Health Rangers Ebola cure to come right back. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Good stuff. Um, Well, yeah, like it was such a pleasure to record this with you boys. For our audience, uh, tell them where they can find your podcast. Um, Well, there's one place you can't find it, and that's on Odyssey, which is the only place that uh, Project Camelot posts their videos anymore, which is (laughs) because they got kicked off YouTube for a bunch of nonsense. Uh, Probably the part where they were saying that uh, COVID was turning people into vampires uh, in China. (laughs) That is true. Yeah, that was fun. But that that one one was later proven to be accurate. They were yeah. a bunch of Draculas hanging around. Uh, somewhat, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, yeah, uh, knowledgefight.com is our website. You bet. We're also nice. on Twitter. It's at knowledge underscore fight and at go to bed, Jordan. Nice. Go follow them, folks. And yeah, thanks again for hanging out with us, Dan and Jordan. Yeah, fun Thank times. you so much. This was a great time. I have so much more to tell you about the <laughs> particular quirks of the, uh, the, the... What other aliens do we have? Uh, we have bug fe- beings? Yeah, we the have, bug beings. Uh, the, the mantis beings? Vietnam yeah. was actually a cover for sure. uh, beetles to yep. get through sp- uh, space, por- space portals. portals. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Every yeah. time there's a disaster, like fires, that's actually cover-ups for when totally. aliens are coming through and they're eating people. The Tunguska incident? Sure. That could have been anything. Anything. Oh, yeah. I feel like you're really crowding my space right now, just emotionally, <laughs> oh. and I I have some boundaries to put up right now with you two, you know, uh, because I'm starting to feel a little nauseous. I, I would love to continue this conversation. I, I, I love talking about the 11 different species um, yeah. that orbit the planet. I'll tell you this, the Pleiadians could really help with that stomachache. They do a good job. They do a good job. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe for five bucks a month. You'll get a whole second episode every week, plus access to our entire archive of premium episodes. When you subscribe, you help us stay advertising free and editorially independent. And for everything else, we have a website, QAnonAnonymous.com. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you. It's not a conspiracy, it's fact. And now, today's auto cue. The real working end of the 2012 prophecy, where we start to have the rubber meet the road, is looking at the solar system and seeing that all the planets are changing the same way as the Earth is changing. The Earth changes are not unique to the Earth. They are a universal phenomenon throughout the solar system. When we start to look behind the veil, the hidden reality that we have, and we start seeing a deeper truth, a deeper truth of ourselves and a deeper truth of what it means to be human on this planet, we come into contact with a body of information that has been kept secret for thousands and thousands of years. And the reason why is that with this information comes the potential for what is called apotheosis. Apotheosis means human becomes God. In my previous video, which most of you have seen, 2012 Enigma, I show you visual evidence of the pineal gland symbolism in the pine cone. And I show you that symbolism all over the world in all different traditions, Babylonian traditions, even in the Vatican, the largest statue in the square, which is called the Court of the Pine Cone. It's huge. It dwarfs the size of a human being. Why would you put a pine cone on a big statue?